I think rehearsing is like the most important thing. It really can benefit the operator and the talent to be in flow and sync with one another. Just showing up to an event without any sort of rehearsal it's a lot of unknowns, especially for that operator. The worst thing that, and the thing that prompter operators like freaks us out and we hate is when the talent mentions the prompter as they're speaking. Right. Like if they're like, oh, the prompter is like out or it's not keeping up with me or like, oh, you went too fast. So like we hear that. We want to create that illusion, you know, we, we want to feed into that. And we just don't want to be like called out. We just, oh, it makes us cringe. And I think this is something that needs to happen more in events is there needs to be more communication between talent, their team and the operator and creating just a more dynamic flow so that everything comes out as intended. Absolutely. But, I think yes. everyone in event productions behind the scenes cringes if they're called on. <laughs> Yes, from the stage, like, regardless don't. of what Ugh. position you feel, as professionals as we are, we're going to do our best to not have to be called on. Please yeah. don't do it. <laughs> Welcome to Events Demystified Podcast, where we explore and demystify the world of in-person, virtual, hybrid event AV production and technology by sharing insightful tips, tricks and tactics to make your events a success. This podcast is brought to you by Tree Fan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency. And your host is Anka Trafan, a technical event planner and producer with almost two decades of hands-on technical experience in event production. Welcome to another episode of Events Demystified Podcast, your one-stop shop for technical and planning advice for anyone in the events industry. Today's episode is sponsored by Trifan Events, and I am your host, Anka Trifan, with a very raspy, unlike me voice, because it's the season to get the flu, the cold, non-COVID related, because guess what? We also have influenza running around, apparently wild this season. So there you have it. I had to make the disclaimer because I, I just listening to myself. I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound like me. Who is this person? Anyway. On the show with me today, I have Michelle Minkelson. She is a teleprompter operator and owner of Prompster. And Michelle is one of my favorite people, the kind of people that start their own business and they run it and they hustle for it. And you're going to learn more about her in this very unique space. She has started this organically grown business in New York, and her expertise is in teleprompting services, a business that you probably don't hear a lot about and you might wonder what is that if you're not in events we're gonna talk about it some more so stay tuned to find out michelle has been working in events and production for over 10 years she has started in new york as i mentioned and moved west to colorado to take on more travel event work and expand the company you can learn more about michelle by following the links in the episode notes and in the meantime let's welcome her in Welcome to the show, Michelle. My heart skips, I have to admit. Every time I get the pleasure and opportunity to talk to another woman-owned, behind-the-scenes professional in event productions. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. So a little small disclaimer, as I just started with my raspy voice that I don't necessarily recognize. Michelle and I have never met in person. However, yet, I should say yet. However, I feel like we've been stalking each other a little bit on LinkedIn and on (laughs) social media, on Instagram. And I really, really loved the type of work that you do. I think that was what attracted me to you in the first place. The fact that you were kind of unveiling the behind the scenes work that goes into your craft, into your skills, into your expertise. And I found it fascinating. Again, I come from a heavy event production world, but that little piece of the event production I've never really tackled into. I feel like it's become even more relevant with virtual events and not that it didn't exist for in-person events. It certainly has, but it's just become more evident that we needed once we all found ourselves in front of a camera and having to read a script, come up with topics of conversation and realizing that our eyes just travel in all kinds of directions and we are not looking at the camera because we're trying to read a script, right? Like even now, right now, like I've got some topics that we're going to touch on and they're all below my camera viewpoint. So you're going to see me every so often like glancing at it. But I would love to learn a little bit about, you know, what has brought you into this world, into this very unique niche. And thank you for stuff, for being courageous to get from behind the scenes, in front of scenes, in front of the microphone. I know it's not an easy thing for a lot of us event professionals that are just used to do our thing, you know, behind the scenes scenes like let us do our thing call the show call the shots just don't put us in front of people right talking and i appreciate that thank you for taking on that bravery of showing up and let's have a conversation about this very unique niche that you're in and to start that off how did you get started what keeps you up at night as you're continuing to expand your business and take on new roles in the industry Yeah. So first off, like you said, public speaking is not my forte. So this definitely makes me a little bit nervous, but I'm going to do my best. So yeah, I kind of got into prompting. It was kind of like a weird fluke. I used to actually be an Apple store genius in New York City. And the big Apple store in New York City? The one in Soho. Okay. Gosh, back in, I guess it was 2012. A guy came in that I, I used to work for. We don't you know, work with each other anymore. But he was just a customer. He had an issue. I was an Apple genius. And I helped him out with his computer and just was schmoozing, you know, doing my thing and found out that he was a teleprompter operator, got his business card. And I thought, you know, what? let me reach out to him, uh, reached out to him. And I started freelancing on the side doing teleprompter work. And so that's what basically- attracted you to that? Like, I mean, of all the things like somebody could have been selling Ferraris and be like, oh, I want a piece of that. <laughs> Well, it sort of was like a natural mix of like all the things that I was good at. You know, it's being tech savvy. His entire company was Mac based. Obviously, I was working at the Mm -hmm. Apple store. I was learning to be and have better interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I could apply to teleprompting Mm -hmm. and just being tech savvy. And I also randomly, I have a screenwriting background, so it's sort of applied in some ways. And Yeah, it just seemed like a good fit. And honestly, once I started doing it, I was like, wow, this just seems like a really good mesh of all of my qualities that I have. 
And it worked out. It just piqued my interest. It was so weird. And it also brought me back into production because, you know, with the screenwriting degree, I felt like, oh, wow, maybe this is my way of getting back into the production world through doing teleprompting. So yeah, it, it just sort of just kind of organically worked out. I love it how you just like followed, you know, your instinct and then found your thing, basically. It's like, this is it. Like, I feel like there's so many people there. Sometimes, you know, they're right out of college feeling a little lost. You know, it's like, I don't know if like, like I remember graduating computer science and being setting myself to be a programmer and you know once I got into the real world I'm like I don't see myself do that like at all funny thing now is with all the virtual events programming Vimex scripting triggers all the things that you need to build behind the scenes to create your perfect show right a lot of my computer science background it's coming so handy yeah definitely and I'm like Hmm, oh, many years later, there's a use for that degree that I pay money for. <laughs> I don't know necessarily about mine, but I'm glad that yours is applying to One day. Hey, you never know. So what keeps you up at night, Michelle, as you're growing your business and you move into more roles within the industry? Because I mean, the truth is, once you're here, you're going to wear a lot of hats. There's not going to be just one hat that yeah. fits all. Yeah. First off, I really don't like work to keep me up at night. And I don't, I like to create that balance and separation. And I, I don't want to be like going to bed thinking about work like that to me. I have to, I keep to keep those things separate. Mm-hmm. But for me, I run a lot of stuff from here in Colorado with all my things going on in New York. And I have operators that are going out for me, maybe two, three, four at a time. So I'm constantly like trying to figure out logistics and how mm-hmm. I can put out fires and how I can make things more efficient and streamline things for them. And then balancing that obviously with me and focusing on myself and just trying to expand my services out here and get exposure to new things mm-hmm. and just try to organically grow and network and mm-hmm. take on new stuff. So there's a lot going on that I'm trying to like balance and keep in place, I guess. I feel like we have a very a similar story there where locally we're trying to network more and get more, I suppose, business, but also make relationships in the process, right? While the majority of our work is everywhere, but local where we're at, <laughs> like boots on the ground, right? So that involves a lot of traveling and you're right, like we traveling comes a lot of balancing having to learn how to balance life and work and things and if you have a little bit more things on your plate than just those two alone you're already you know kind of running at high capacity and it can take its toll on you and I would love to touch a little bit on the burnout and what that looks like for you you know some of the strategies that you might have implemented but we're going to leave that topic towards the end of our conversation because I want to first dive into this season is all about women behind the scenes and anyone female in event production that identifies as a female in audio video lighting show calling i mean all the things just think of all the roles that that whole industry provides for events in general and what i want to know is what propelled you as a young woman to enter such a very unique niche as you mentioned teleprompting and for anyone that's not familiar with that what is it on a layman's term, right? If you've never been in front on a stage in front of people needing that type of support, what does that mean? What does it look like? And even in your business, as you're growing into this new field, what has pushing yourself out of the comfort zone look like? Well, it looks like this, but... uh... (laughs) 
Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about what is teleprompting. So it's many different things in many different scenarios. In the event world, basically it's me sitting at a computer and sending a feed to a, what we call in the industry, a downstage monitor or a comfort monitor. I mean, there's different words for it, but basically it's like a 50, 60 inch television. And sometimes you might have like two of them on the downstage and it'll have the script of the talent or notes or whatever sort of reference that they need to help them give their presentation. Sometimes you'll also see these like really huge projected screens back of house. Occasionally you'll also see, especially if you you do any sort of galas or charity work or work with politicians, you're going to see those sort of glass panels, which we term presidentials. And so basically we're just feeding the script into the prompter. And, you know, it's more than just feeding the script into it. We're also taking on edits and changes. And those are coming and coming and coming until sometimes right before the speaker goes on stage, or sometimes they're coming during the event too. People are constantly tweaking, changing. Every environment you're in is going to be different and dynamic, and those changes will vary. And then you're also doing the scrolling. And that's a kind of an art and science in and of itself, because you know when you have somebody that's up on a stage giving a speech, they're not sometimes sticking directly to the prompter. So being able to keep up with a sentence they skip, a paragraph they skip, keeping pace with them, not going too fast, finding rhythm and flow. I mean, all those things are are super important as a teleprompter operator. And then outside of that, it's, you know, how you not only communicate with your production team, but you're also interfacing with the end clients and with the talent and having the ability to sort of move between all those different spaces. So that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg of what it takes to be a teleprompter operator, I guess. And then, oh, one more thing is also understanding the technology and how you have to connect all of the pieces to make the screen show the the text. And we have different scenarios. I mean, we do also not only work in events, but in production. And, you know, we have various setups for that that require some technical ability, some understanding of how things connect to cameras, etc. So there's a lot of different components that definitely go into teleprompting. So at a basic level, how is that so different than the PowerPoint notes that someone that is a presenter would have on the DSM, on the downstage monitor? Well, those are things we can also do as well. But with PowerPoint notes, those typically tend to be connected to their PowerPoint deck. As a prompter operator, we could take those and scroll those. But usually when people use the notes, they want to have reference of all the notes up at once because they're not necessarily communicating with the prompter operator as far as the fact that they're going to hit every single note. So they might just want to see everything up there because they might in their own mind have a rhythm and flow of how they want to go through it. Whereas with prompter, you do have to stick to it to a pretty close degree because otherwise you're going to throw your prompter operator off. They're not going to be able to follow you. So when you do use prompter as a speaker, you really do sort of have to go A, B, C, D. You can't go A, F, and you know Z and come back. You really have to stay well, in a, a pattern for, for your operator. Or at least and you have to have a script. Them. You have yes, to have a script to, to begin with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 normally with prompter, we really do recommend rehearsing. I think rehearsing is like the most important thing. It really can benefit the operator and the talent to be in flow and sync with one another. Just showing up to an event without any sort of rehearsal. It's a lot of unknowns, especially for that operator. And you don't know if they're going to stick to it. You don't know if they're actually using it, if they're not sticking to it. The worst thing, and the thing that prompter operators like freaks us out and we hate is when the talent mentions the prompter as they're 
speaking. Right. Like if they're like, oh, the prompter is like out or it's not keeping up with me or like, oh, you went too fast. The like words. we hate that. We want to create that illusion, you know? We, we want to feed into that and we just don't want to be like called out. We just, oh, it cr- makes us cringe. And I think this is something that needs to happen more in events is there needs to be more communication between talent, their team and the operator and creating just a more dynamic flow so that everything comes out as intended. Absolutely. But, I think yes. everyone in event productions behind the scenes cringes if they're called on. <laughs> Yes, from the stage, like, regardless of what position you feel, if you're the lighting guy, oh, the lights are so bright, somebody do something about it, or oh, this microphone doesn't work, you know, people going crazy, or slides like any and everything, as professionals as we are, we're gonna do our best to not have to be called on. Please don't do it. Mm-hmm. refrain yeah. from yes. doing yeah. it here's a one out of comfort scenario i remember i was doing streaming for a virtual event beginning of the year and it was a global event and we had multiple sessions that were happening in different parts of the world they're basically a copy of each other it's just for different audiences in different parts of the world and one of the events was fully in spanish another one was fully in french another one was fully in i don't know like it was chinese at one point and it was so so funny to see the teleprompter operator trying to keep up with the words on the screen in a language that they did not yeah. know. Yeah. Like yeah. that was challenging. You're like, oh, yeah. okay, it's so hard. I think this is where we're in. Like literally we had to have a support staff for that person so they can hear the words mm-hmm. and read while the operator is actually advancing, you know, scrolling because you're like, what did they say? Like, you don't understand what's being said. You have to still pick up the words. Hopefully you know the timely matter so how does out of comfort zone look like in some of the real life situation you've been in that you can recall well speaking of that i actually have worked at the un during the general assembly a few times and yeah you get thrown languages that you might know a little bit but if they ad lib or they go off, you are completely thrown. Lost. Yeah. And it's stressful, but you really, you know, you have to just focus and zone in and just do your best. And just having that focus and concentration super helps. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people do when they speak that they don't realize that can kind of benefit and help you. The way people's voice goes up and down and intonation when they start and speak and then sentences, even if you don't know the language, you can kind of keep up with that. There's also cheats. Sometimes there are English words. There's numbers, there's things that you can kind of connect and find. But if it's a language like Chinese, where you're only an English speaker, you need an aid. I know there's some folks and I have friends who can do it and they swear by it and they go, yeah, I can just tell by the start and end of sentences. But me personally, I would definitely need some help with something like that. Because yeah, it can be very stressful. It's not perfect. And we did have aids, especially for Chinese, because of like the whole alphabet is obviously not even like yeah, English. Yeah, we had to have an aid to be able to pinpoint places in the script where we're at at every single moment because yeah, you can get lost so fast. Do you remember a time when you felt like under pressure and you had to figure out what was like your reaction or your go-to strategy to pull yourself back together into that mode of like, okay, I'm doing this. I know it's like a little bit things are getting out of control just to, you know, as a way to focus back in on the task. 
Yeah, I had to do German one time and he kept ad-libbing and it really was throwing me off. But the only thing I can do is just stay calm under pressure, focus and do my best. And one way that I've learned to kind of make it a little bit easier for myself, even if it's just someone speaking English and ad-libbing, is so I have a main and a backup setup. And my main will have, you know, obviously the full text size, etc. And then what I'll do is on my backup, I'll like make everything like crank it down to like size 50 font, something small, so I can stay ahead. So if someone's really going off the reservation and throwing me and I just really don't know what's going on, instead of me scrolling everywhere and freaking out and panicking, I can just go to that backup. I can kind of get an idea of where they're at if I'm not in the right place and I can find it and get there. And it also just leaves me a little bit of calmness because I have that backup there. I know what is coming next because sometimes I've only seen these scripts maybe like two, three times. So I don't know the content as well as the person that's speaking. And it, it just gives me that confidence and calmness to know like, okay, I've got this as a backup. I know I can always find out where they're at everything's going to be fine. So just having that in place. Preparation, planning yeah. in advance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Love planning it. in advance. Yeah. Because even, you know, people that speak English, like they're not always reading these scripts to a T. And, you know, the funny thing is during rehearsal, they'll read it to a T. They'll, they'll hit every mark. They'll read every line. You go to the event day and they feel like it's a way for them to be spontaneous. Personally, I think they would do better if they stuck to their script, but it's fine. So it's just having that backup there just in case super helps. It's a way for me to always keep tabs. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so let's switch a little bit uh, the uh, topic conversation here into building your business, networking. And the global event industry is large, yet I feel like it's such a small industry once you start getting to build relationships and know key players, build rapport with people in your niche. And it's all heavily interconnected and relying on networking and relationship building and connection. How does one go about the right way to create community in a very niche space, for example, your space, the prompter operators and graphic designers and operators behind the scenes. In other words, basically, what would your advice be for anyone that's either new or seasoned at networking in regards to what the main focus should be and the objective when you go about networking? I think in general, I mean, I'm not an expert in networking or anything, but my advice would be just don't walk in with any sort of expectation. Don't expect anything from anybody. Just make the connection to make the connection. I mean, whatever happens from there, it'll unfold and be organic and natural. So I wouldn't try and force anything. But I think building community and creating community is so important, especially in the niche spaces that we have. And one way that I've personally done it is through Facebook groups. And so I created a prompter group and it's just a way to bring prompters from just all over the country and even the world together. And we just like communicate with each other. Now we share best practices, we share pictures. I've even been able to use it as a place where somebody comes to me for work. I don't have a presence in that particular area. I can be like, Hey, do you have somebody available? And that not only that, but I'm deepening the relationship with the person that came to me and then also growing the relationship with the operators who wind up or companies that wind up taking the jobs. So just sort of building that has been, I think, been pretty successful. I've been able to really grow a lot of relationships and kind of like build out some of my event clients through doing things like that. What's this Facebook group for anyone that might actually be on the technical side of the industry, not necessarily, you know, an event planner, more of an operator and would love to connect with you and other operators in the space? So the group that I have on Facebook is called Prompters. 
Okay. That's Isn't the one it I book. Is it something that they would go be able to join? It's private because I try to uh, limit it to teleprompter operator companies. I'll let people that work in the event space, like recruiter type folks that staff, I, I'll let them in. And also people that create the teleprompter products, they're welcome to join as well. Yeah. I mean, if other people want to join, if they shoot me a message and tell me why they want to join the group and how they're going to bring value and relevance, great. I just don't want like spammers coming in. We've had right. some those. But there's also another group called Scrollers, another prompter operator based on New Zealand. He runs that one as well. There's a little bit different focus in his group than mine, but they're both really great places if you want to learn more about prompting, network with other teleprompter operators and people sort of in that sphere of events and production. Yeah, you can definitely feel free to send me a message and uh, yeah, I'd be happy if you could join. Awesome. Well, let's hold that thought for a second. We're going to take just a small break to announce our podcast sponsor and supporter, and we'll be right back to continue our conversation with our featured guest. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation, while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. And out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. Getting back to today's topic of conversation with our featured guest, Michelle, business owner of Prompster. I would love to hear from you, Michelle, being a small business owner in a very unique space. Let's be honest, when it comes to networking, at the end of the day, the goal is to, yes, build relationships and yes, serve clients with your skills and your talent and the tools that you bring to the table. So what are some of the tested strategies that you have used to connecting with your future clients and filling your pipeline, basically, aside from, you know, the Facebook group that we mentioned before the break? I mean, I guess even if I can't provide them the service right away, just always providing any sort of value, whether that's information, resources, whatever I can do to provide any sort of assistance. I've had several people that where I don't have presence in certain areas, reach out to me just for referrals and just always being communicative and providing those sorts of resources. One thing that I really pride myself is just being able to get back to people quickly, whether that's with a yes or a no, and just making people feel like they're a priority. And I think they really appreciate that. Just having that effective communication and just always trying to just be a partner in any way that I can, even if I can't fulfill whatever it is that they're asking me to do, or just always being solution-based, always providing some sort of solution. I think people really find that very valuable. And I find that people tend to come back because they know that they'll get an answer from me and I'll be able to provide some sort of solution. I love it. That's actually my number one strategy. 
<laughs> and I feel like there's yeah. something to do with yeah. women being very much tuned into communication, but also into building the relationship and knowing how important communication is to that, but also attention to details. Like I hate making people wait because I hate when I'm not being responded, even though I don't need the whole solution right off the bat, but I need at least the acknowledgement that you received, you know, request or inquiry might have been. And just that little tiny detail, it's so important in building those type of relationships, because like you said, you make people feel like they are a priority for you, even though sometimes you're in the middle of a lot of things and they're very urgent happening in the moment and you don't necessarily have the bandwidth to tackle whatever. But then remembering to follow up, that's another thing. Like, I feel like a lot of people, they're like, yes, no. And then they completely forget that they even promised something or they were going to come back with a response or a solution or even, you know, sometimes just the acknowledgement that I am working on this or I'm planning to come up with a plan eventually. Piggybacking on this question, as a young small business owner, because I mean, I consider myself young as a business owner because I haven't, you know, built businesses forever. You know, I've been on the production side for many years, but as a young business owner running a remote business operation, what have been some of the challenges that you faced in uh, recent years that has helped you become a better and more seasoned entrepreneur? And what are basically in a nutshell, the benefits and drawbacks of running a business that's remote? We'll start positive. Yeah, with the benefits. <laughs> you know, it's it's given me more flexibility to sort of focus on building out this event side of the business and take on new work. It also lets me do a lot of the admin stuff that is really important to making this company work. But the nice thing about not being in New York and centering myself there is that I'm not bogging myself and taking on all of the day-to-day video shoots that I probably would be sort of feeling like I had to do if I was in New York. And the fact that I can delegate that work off to other people, it just opens up my plate so much more to focus on other things. The downside though, is that I'm not in New York City and a lot of things are out of my control and I'm relying on a lot of other people. And I'm having to put out a lot of fires and taking 6 a.m. phone calls because I'm in Colorado and I'm two hours behind. And I'm not able to QC things and like look at stuff on a daily basis. So I think in the future, you know, for me, it's just really figuring out how I can maybe bring somebody on full time if I have the ability to getting people to sort of take care more of the New York side of things so that I can really start focusing on fleshing things out even more so in Colorado and not feeling like I have to go and get on a flight every month to New York City to sort of like make sure everything is okay there. Trying to create a way for New York to automate itself. And that really comes from me and working more with my team to communicate that. So that's just going to take time. Yeah, for sure. So the team in New York, uh, do they provide their own equipment or do you actually have to be the one in charge with, like you said, uh, QCing some of the equipment that goes out? Because I mean, every time there is a project where equipment has to go up, somebody has to also make sure that it works. And it all flows together. I do remember, you know, being on event sites where I'm walking in to do a job, hire for that particular position, and there's different vendors involved and bringing equipment from different places and none of it actually matches. There's a level of anxiety that comes with that, you know, and you're like, oh, shoot, I got to make this work. And sometimes the workflow doesn't match the gear. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's been really challenging. I don't have somebody full-time that's doing that right now. And it's all my equipment, my computers, my setups, my presidential kits. So I really, really rely on the operators and I, I try to make it a thing. Like if something's broken, just let me know. I don't care if you did it, doesn't matter. I'm not going to blame you. Just need to know if it's broken, something's not working so that we can get it taken care of. And I'm the one that takes the lead with trying to get it all fixed and logistics and that kind of thing. But yeah, I just try to have a really good communication style with the operators and just not make them feel like if something bad happens, that it's their fault. So that they're open and willing to tell me something happened so that we can resolve the issue as quickly as possible. Yeah. That's a, that's a weight to carry for sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And the truth is we do take care of our stuff better than maybe somebody else's stuff. And I've seen this again and again on events and finding someone that is conscious enough to say, even though this is not my stuff, I'm going to treat it like it is and I'm going to take care of it and I'm not going to just shove it in a case. I'm not just going to throw it left and right. I've seen this again and again where you can see those people and those are my favorite people, the ones that do care. Like they're yeah. there because they care. They're not just there because they're fulfilling a role or they're getting a paycheck. And those are the people I want to stick with because I know that at the end of the day, they have their heart and their intention is to make that event succeed. And that only looks good on you but also also on your client and on the event. And it's challenging, you know, because you sometimes have to go through a situation where you're not matched with the right people and you learn that once. <laughs> but learning that once can be yes. hard. <laughs> It can. Yeah. I mean, it certainly happened. And, you know, it's hard because there's things coming in and out and sort of pinpointing the, the person that's causing the issue can can sometimes be a challenge as well because you don't want to yeah. blame other people. But yeah, it's conflict resolution right yeah. there. I'm glad yeah. you have a few things to say about yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It's a challenge. But so let's touch a little bit on that, but I'll take it from a different side. Like, for example, I was actually, we were talking about being millennials, right? So I'm like, am I a millennial? I'm going to go and Google <laughs> to find out. <laughs> so according to the Brookings Institution of whatever the institution is, which defines the millennial generation as people born from 1981 to 1996. And mm -hmm. so does Gallup and the Federal Reserve Board and a few different entities out there. They define millennials to be people born from 1981 to 1996. Enough said. I identify as one, apparently. And I would That's love right. to hear you your experience as someone that on event productions, as we know, many times you do get to work with Gen Z and X and baby boomers. And there's sometimes a bit of a, I don't know if it's culture differences, age difference, generation difference. There's a little bit of generational difference. Let's just call it that. Okay. And yeah. how does it feel to be one of the younger techs on site and have to work with a generation that sometimes is twice your age and also have to be the lead? And and on top of that, a female in a lead position on a crew. How do you navigate some of the challenges that arise from that? Yeah, it's definitely challenging. I would say it's almost like sometimes the different generations are speaking a different language with the way that we're communicating with each other. And I sort of have to, you know, I can decipher it. My parents are boomers, so I know how to sort of navigate that situation. But it's definitely challenging. I mean, I know I remember when I was in my 20s, you sometimes were dealing with older men who would be a bit condescending with the way they were talking to you and just sort of having to still be professional and navigate through 
that and knowing that maybe they don't trust you because of some preconceived notions that they have of their generation. But, you know, on the whole, I have found that things are changing. There is more diversity in crews and not only versing a sense of just different ages of people and genders and everything being on these crews, but we still sort of do see some misogyny and inappropriate behavior. And that tends to be when you have crews that are made up of particular people of certain generations. It's hard. I mean, I would almost pose the question to you, like, how do you deal with some of the comments on calm that make you uncomfortable? I know for me, I just try to find allies, but it makes it very difficult because it's a power thing. I'm coming in just as a teleprompter operator. I'm not the person that's owning the event company. And I do sometimes hear things that are a bit inappropriate and creates a bit of a weirdness. But it's hard to sort of challenge it when you're not the one that owns the company and creates the sort of culture crew dynamic. But yeah, I don't know. I I guess I would kind of flip this one to you and see what you do in those situations. I would certainly address it, you know, from different points of view. It depends if I'm just there to do a job and I'm part of the crew. And there's different levels of like being yourself familiar with people, right? Some people I work with on an event-by-event basis and we know each other and there's already been established like some boundaries and also a level of friendship so mm-hmm. that's easy <laughs> that's yeah, when you're yeah. like I'm at ease I know I can be myself I know I can you know sometimes joke and I'm not always like perfectly aligned yeah. you know in my jokes yeah. with the reality of being this straight up stuck up professional right like we are ourselves and yeah. I have an experience like this where recently I worked on an event and even though we've never worked together before we never met each other in person until this one event we actually all shared an Airbnb and it was one of the best experiences I've had with a group of people that I've never actually met before nor worked with before because we were able to establish some rapport away from the event from the working hours and also like start to joke about issues that we had during the event and not make it a big deal and actually be able to be open and just have a good time right now I've also been on event sites where I walked in and I work with a lot of union and that tends to be in my experience where you get to meet a lot of the older yeah. technicians and the yeah. generational gap is larger and uh, I remember being in San Fran on a, an event site it was a large event I was the lead for about a hundred union guys and gals but mostly like 90% guys and uh, it was nice to see that there's also some females probably three out of a hundred but still right wow. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I've noticed as I'm you know leading the crew this is what we're doing this is plan we had several ballrooms we needed to set up and they all had to be set up according to plan and I remember like having to at one point reinforce my position like I'm there because I want to do a good job and I don't care for drama and if you're going to show me drama trust me you found the wrong person (laughs) to deal with because I'm going to call you out and I stand my ground I can be quite authoritative when it comes to that but also I want to have fun like I want this to be easy for all of us don't cross me (laughs) because I also have a side that you don't want to deal with and I'd rather us be friends (laughs) and not have to go there I think it was one example where I was telling uh, this one particular tech this is what we need to do and he would turn around and pick on like one of the you know quietest meekest women on the crew you know out of those three women that were on the crew and ask her to do that and I'm like 
well, wait a second. Like I asked you, if I wanted to ask her, I would have asked her. Like, yeah. why do you turn around to ask her? Like, you are required to do this because I asked you and she's going to go and do something else. It's almost like he still wanted to enforce his authority on the level. Yeah. Or like, yeah. well, somebody's giving me orders and I don't like it. And I'm going to just give like orders. That a woman's doing this. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, we're not doing things like that, you know? And if you don't like yeah. it, I'm sorry. The door is in that direction. And you're free to walk away. Like, I'm okay with it. And when it comes to that, like, obviously, I showed me my bitchy side. And obviously, I got the <laughs> reputation of being a bitch. But I'm like, you can tell that to my face because I can take it. And, yeah, yeah. And then by the end of the three-day event, we were best friends. <laughs> because I'm like, this is how things are. In situations like this, honestly, I always like to walk in with somebody else. Like, if I got hired for this event to be a technical lead, I want them to set the hierarchy of who mm-hmm. takes orders from who. So that mm-hmm. way I don't have to be put in an uncomfortable position to like do this power struggle play because it's not yeah. comfortable for me and it's not fun for anyone else, you know? So yeah. having them say, okay, here's your leads. They're going to give you what to do. You're going to listen to them. You're going to report to them. And if you have questions outside of that, you can come to the next whatever authority level, yeah. right? But having that established right off the bat, like exact roles, who fills them and who's in charge of what, it has been one of the most helpful ways to eliminate some of the drama that's just unnecessary and I don't have time for it and the event doesn't have time for it and we're on a tight schedule we got other challenges to tackle the last thing I need is that type of like interrelationship you know unnecessary again I keep coming to this world drama but to me it just sounds like drama like I just don't have time for it Well, I mean, you know, what's so funny is we, I'm sure you've noticed, we do a lot of these events where diversity and inclusion is like the priority now. And I feel like that's just not rubbing off on some of these crews. And I almost feel like we just need to like look a little bit more inward and make that, I think, more of a priority. I don't know how that extols to the entire event space, but I just think that it's something that needs to be looked at from that kind of space. You know, this is uh, an excellent yeah. question and an excellent topic, actually. It goes right into to my next topic of conversation that I was going to ask you from your point of view, having dealt with some issues yourself, I'm sure you know, and there's times when you're like, this event is a joy. This crew is a joy. And there's other times that are like, I just want to get through this. <laughs> I yes, just want to get to yes. the other side. What can be done to change the current status quo and give more opportunities for women to embrace technical roles in events and see more people like you and more people like me behind the scenes and make it attractive so that women flourish in this production field. Well, we need to keep doing more stuff like this, talking about it. And not only that, but just being open to folks that are women that are interested in doing this kind of stuff, being a resource, an ally, someone that they feel like they can come to me and they can. I mean, if anyone reaches out to me and has questions or wants to get involved, I'm more than happy to take the time and give them the time to teach them what I know, give them resources of people they can reach out to, guide and direct. And we just need to be really good guides and teachers and mentors to people that want to get into this industry. I don't know everything and I'm sure you don't either, but we're all just learning from each other and growing and yeah, just not being intimidating and and creating barriers and just breaking down whatever barriers that might exist and just being open. And none of this information should be proprietary. None of it should be secretive. We should all be sharing it. And um, that's always been my thing. Um, I look at work, not from a competitive standpoint, but from the standpoint of there's, there's plenty to go around for everybody. Abundance mindset. Abundance 
exactly. And I think that's really a big differentiator between boomers and X and millennials and Z is that we have more of that abundancy mindset and that growth and community aspect and not so much competitive. I'm trying to be better than you. I need all the work. There's only so much there's scarcity. So just going at it from that perspective. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm always resource. I'm always available here to help anybody that wants to get involved in events. I love it. Well, let me ask you something. Did you feel like when you were first starting, you had enough mentors, female mentors to reach out to find out what is it like to work as a woman in event productions? I mean, the mentors and people that when I was coming into this 10 years ago, had more of that competitive scarcity mindset. So they sort of would tell me things but hold back at the same time. And so I had to really be the one as I matured into this industry that was like, no, I'm not going to be like that. I don't care if you go take a job with somebody else. I don't care if you go work with XYZ. None of that matters to me. As long as we're growing as a community and being open about what we're doing, that's important. You know, I had plenty of people as far as starting out in the industry. There were men that were helpful. There were women. I wouldn't say women were more helpful than men, though, when it came to me starting out. I wouldn't say that women were like giving me Not always, which is a shame, right? What a shame. Yeah, yeah. And I I really just want to flip that dynamic and and not be that type of person. Like I, I, none of this information I'm holding to my heart. Like it's, it's for everybody to, to work with and see. And the cool thing is the more that we share, the more that we're going to grow and iterate and get better, the more that somebody copies off of me, that's great because then you might come up with a better way of doing it. And I might look at it and go, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to try that too. And that's the only way. No, I yeah. love that mindset. Honestly, I connect the most with people that basically are exactly that, like willing to share, willing to give away from some of the experience, lessons, mistakes, you know, walked through. And in my opinion, that never turns wrong. Like you're always going to come up positively, regardless if you give away, you know, you feel like, oh, if I give everything away, there's not going to be anything left for me. Coming back to the question that I posed to you earlier, what are then some of the maybe unknown opportunities that you've noticed that maybe women don't know? You don't have to be a teleprompter operator. You don't have to have all this technical knowledge. Sometimes that can be a bit intimidating, right? But what are some other opportunities that you might think? Well, you don't have to be on a job site. You could do logistics. Think about all the time that would save you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, there's tons of like coordinator positions. And those are such important and valuable roles because they really connect between the event company and client themselves and the people producing the work. And just being a coordinator is something that I'm even very interested in and I love doing, especially as I run a company, just logistics and planning and all that is super important. Yeah, event planning, production coordinating, production managers, all those roles don't really necessitate you having technical skills. Those can be a lot of soft skills, a lot of communication skills, stage managing even. That's a great one. That requires a ton of communication skills relationship and, interpers- and relationship interpersonal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a always a much needed role in events for sure. Yeah, I had the opportunity to actually do that for a huge event. It was one of the top league ones. Actually, it was one of my favorite. I love running things, you know, hands-on technically. But this one was a little different. I was invited to be part of the event and uh, to fill the role of the stage manager. Actually, I had a team of support staff for this position wow. because it was a stadium-sized event. And I had wow. some top-level speakers. Arnold was one of my favorite ones. <laughs> That's awesome. and- 
it was just so cool. And there's a lot of moving pieces, you know, you have to yeah. be very organized. But like you said, communication skills, interrelationship skills, being just friendly and open and yes. available and approachable. Mm -hmm. Those are definitely key skills that it doesn't take a science degree <laughs> to have, no. you know. And I, I loved it. It was fabulous. You're in the thick of events. You are part of all the conversations. You're still part of production. And it was so, it was super cool. I mean, I'm like, I should do this more often. <laughs> and it's so easy for me, right? Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> okay, yeah. so let's touch on one last topic that okay. we just yeah. alluded to at the beginning of our conversation. And you mentioned how moving from New York to Colorado has given you the ability to maybe step back and take a little bit more care of yourself and your needs and put yourself, you know, more of a priority. Because we all know when you work in events, and especially as a small business owner that you're trying to grow, it's hard to say no. You know, there's always oh, yeah. going to yeah. be that opportunity. You're like, man, if I say no, it's not going to come again or something, right? How mm -hmm. do you keep that balance? How have you learned to build that balance in your own work-life integration <laughs> system? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm always still hustling, trying to get more work. I do have plenty of downtime. That's the cool thing. Like I'm lucky enough to where I do have some lulls in, in what I do. I do have some weeks where, hey, I've got time um, to focus on me and the interests and hobbies that I like and try and develop myself as a whole person outside of my work and figure out like who I am and what I like to do. So I've been really trying to take any lulls that I have to go deeper into the stuff that I'm super interested in. And I have some weird interests and things like that. I'm sure we all do. And just to sort of delve into that. And Is bodybuilding one of them? <laughs> what is it? Bodybuilding, one of them. Body, yeah, you can see. I'm like, really? I mean, you're 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 doing great with that. That's awesome. I always feel like I look at yourself. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm just gonna go for a walk. I think. <laughs> And have a cookie. Hey, if, if that's yeah. all that the effect he has, where you're like debating between this cookie and like, should I actually go for a walk? And yeah. Choose to go for a walk. That's a win for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have kids. I'm not in a relationship. So for me, I know I do have a little bit of extra time that I can dedicate for myself in that respect. It's really like just try to. I know sometimes we can't get away from our devices, and I certainly don't. But at some point, you got to just put it down and be like, do I really need to respond to this? email at nine o'clock at night no, I can probably just wait till the morning. I can probably give them an answer tomorrow. They don't need to know right now. It's 11 o'clock in New York City. I think they can wait until eight o'clock tomorrow morning. So just knowing when like sometimes boundaries, you being like setting the, some boundaries for yourself yeah, and just others. Because if you make yourself available at 9 p.m. for this one yeah. person, they're going to know that they can call you and text you at 9 p.m. and they're going to expect yeah. now for you to respond, right? Yeah, exactly. So just, you know, and I took a trip to Europe this summer by myself. And I was like, I just need to like get away for a couple weeks. I turned down work. I just was like, look, I got to do this for myself. And it was great. It was super liberating. And it made me realize that exact thing of like, I don't have to get back to people the, the second after the email comes in. I can wait a couple hours. It's okay. The end of the world's not going to happen. And that really helped me balance and refocus myself and go, okay, I need to like prioritize, take, I love to travel. It's one of the most favorite things I love to do. I need to make sure that's a priority in my life. And if I leave for two weeks, then maybe I have somebody in the States that's like handling stuff for me and just creating a plan so that when I do these things where I go off the grid, that everything's going to be taken care of and I'm not getting weird phone calls at like 4 a.m. Yeah, Somewhere just creating like a priority. Yeah. Paris or whatever yeah, your exactly. travels took you. 
I mean, it definitely happened while I was gone, but it's okay. I mean, things like that are par for the course, but just trying to be better at planning that kind of stuff when I am away so that if fires happen, I'm not the one that has to be called. So how do you say no to opportunities as you're trying to pursue this more intentionally? Saying no to opportunities. So I try not to say no, but I might not be the one that does them. So if it's something where it's like an hour long remote or it's a one day job in Colorado, I'll turn it down or I'll try to give it to somebody else within the community or within my company so that I can focus on the larger clients or the longer jobs or the ones that might be more meaningful and have more impact. So that's actually been pretty easy for me to do. I sort of prioritize nowadays. Like, do I really want to go drive up to Denver, which is like, over an hour away during a snowstorm so I can get a one-day job? Or should I just maybe wait and see if a one-week job comes in? Maybe I'll just delegate that up to somebody else and then they can do it. And then I can focus and retool my resources in another direction. So that's kind of how I approach it. That's awesome. I actually had to do that for this month of December, where after months upon months of traveling, I was like, I'm just going to have to say no to all those things that I was thinking I wanted to do in December, as far as opportunities are, because I need to focus on something else. And there's end of year business related activities, and also giving myself space to think about 2023. And what do I want to do more of? And what do I want to do less of? And just have that space, because if I just run from one thing to the next, I'll never give myself any time to just slow down and give it that intentional time that it requires, even being creative again. That was like for me, when I tend to burn myself out, the first thing that goes is my creativity ability to just come up with new content or come up with even new ideas or solutions sometimes. And every time I see that like starting to happen, like if I cannot come up with a new, I don't know, like LinkedIn post, I'm like, I'm tapping myself out right now. Like I need to give myself a break and figure out what do I need to change and move things around. It's like you said, find other suppliers and other people on my team to do the things that I don't need to do. So I have that space. I need that space, you know, just to operate efficiently in my own niche. This was fabulous. Thank you so much, Michelle, for braving. It's out of my comfort zone doing this stuff, you know? Hey, not anymore. You did fantastic. You really, you know, showed up with an amazing attitude, had so much to say and share. As a one last thought in closing, what would be one piece of advice that you have for any other female out there that would like to pursue a career in event productions? Anything that would be helpful for them as they plan this step for their future? Yeah, I mean, just do it. Just reach out to other women in the industry. Try to shadow, learn, take on, even if it's just like a PA role for an event, just do it. Learn, absorb, just ask questions. We're here. We're open. I mean, I know you are. I know I am. So just get out there and you can shoot me a message. I'm more than happy to help. And with that, where can any of our audience connect with you if they actually do want to have the opportunity to maybe ask a question, reach out, maybe join the Facebook group that we mentioned earlier? Yeah. So on Facebook, Prompters is my group. LinkedIn, Michelle Michelson. On Instagram, Prompster or uh, Damish Mish is my personal one. My email is M-I-C-H at HeyPrompster.com. 
Twitter.com. You can feel free to email me if you want to do it that way. But yeah, any of those ways, I, I'll get back to you pretty quickly. And that's kind of my thing. And yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help in, in any way whatsoever. I love it. And I'll have all those links in the episode notes for anyone that would like to connect with Michelle so that we make it easy. And with that, this is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and you'll learn a thing or two about Michelle, what she's passionate about, how she kicks ass in her niche. <laughs> Yeah. And how you can connect with her if you have questions and would like to pursue maybe a career as a teleprompter. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being here, for showing up, for being present. And honestly, just adding so much value to the conversation. I hope that we get to work together one day. I know that it's going to happen for sure. I'm looking forward to it. And in the meantime, for anyone that has listened all the way till the very end, thank you for doing that. Make sure that you subscribe to stay tuned with all the other episodes that are coming out every single Friday and since we're December and we're reaching the tail end of this season I hope you have a wonderful holiday season Michelle and we get to see you again doing a lot of good stuff in the industry and changing the way things are in 2023 thank you for listening to the events demystified podcast if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it, rate it, and share it with other event professionals that could benefit from it. Connect with us on social at Events Demystified Podcast. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. If you'd like to learn more about Tree Fan Event Services and find out if we're a good fit in supporting your event, can we help your event be successful with a 20-minute free consultation? Link in the episode's notes. Thanks for tuning in.